July 4th, Independence Day in the United States of America, in a time when we reflect upon efforts that were made by what we could call founding fathers to provide a liberty from political tyranny and to establish a nation for the benefit of all its inhabitants with liberty and justice for all. How much that dream and reality has been realized is debatable. But I dare say every one of you sitting here and all who think on the realities of what we would have are very grateful that God has blessed us in this land and provided us with untold blessings that people in other parts of the world cannot even begin to imagine. But there are times in which we begin to equate, mistakenly equate, some of the personal freedoms that we might enjoy with true liberty, with true freedom, and fail to appreciate that there is a kingdom that is yet coming that far transcends anything that man by his own efforts could ever establish. In Psalm 96, the psalmist describes for us the joy and the glory and the celebration that will be expressed by God's people when the kingdom of our Lord is established upon this earth. And you and I will have the opportunity to celebrate a true day of liberation, a true day of freedom and independence. In Psalm 96, as you look at it, you will find that we don't have a human author that's designated. There's been speculations as to who may be the author of this psalm, and they really have no way of confirming any of the suggestions. But one thing they know to be true This psalm derives much of its uh, idea and even some of the phrases that are used within it in a psalm that was written by David on the occasion of when the ark was brought into Jerusalem and placed in the tent that he had pitched for the ark of the covenant where the people of God would gather to worship as they awaited the building of the temple. And if you'd like to read that other psalm, it is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It is longer than this psalm, and it has ideas included within it that are not found in this psalm, but it certainly has similar thoughts associated with it. This psalm was written on the occasion, or for the occasion, of celebrating the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. It was a joyous celebration and festival for the people of God. And it served a twofold purpose. It looked back on God liberating the nation of Israel out of Egypt and the time that they lived in the wilderness awaiting to come into the land of promise. But it also looked forward in anticipation to God being in the midst of his people and them dwelling in the presence of God as was reflected as the 
Men came to the city of Jerusalem. They built their little booths or their little tabernacles around the city and they would celebrate the festival for seven days, anticipating the coming kingdom that God had promised to them. As far as the type of psalm, this is a praise psalm. This is a celebration psalm. This is one that looks at the joy that is true of God's people as they reflect upon the blessings that He has given. If we look at this song, it's also known as an enthronement song. And it is called an enthronement song because it looks at God taking His place as the ruler, as the one in authority, not only over the nation of Israel, but over all the nations of the earth. And they have been grouped together in our Bibles. They encompass Psalm 93 through 99 as one of the times when it expresses the reality that the Lord is the one who rules in His sovereignty and He has established His throne on the earth. In that regard, it is also indirectly a messianic song because we recognize that God's rule on the earth in a visible, tangible way will be realized with the coming of Christ to establish the promised kingdom on the earth. If we look at the teaching of this song and its concentration, it basically is a song that uh, rejoices in and celebrates the sovereign rule of God and His coming kingdom. You know, if you look down in verse 10, what is to be declared among the nations? Say what? The Lord reigns. It is a reality of His rule over this earth. And that rule will be realized with His presence on this earth as He is coming to judge the world in His righteousness, in His faithfulness, in His integrity. If we look at Psalm 96, dealing with the sovereign rule of the Lord and the establishment of His kingdom, it really falls into three parts. In the first portion of this song, what we find is a proclamation of God's glory in verses 1 through 6. And then we see the participation in His worship in verses 7 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 13, the preparation for His coming. Also of note in this song, the name, the personal name of God is utilized exclusively. In other words, if you look you will find the word LORD in all capital letters, and it occurs uh, 11 times, I believe, in this song, and everything else is a preposition that refers back to this one true God who is the creator of all, who rules over the nations. He is none other than the personal God who has made Himself known to His people. He is Yahweh. And so... It is sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh, bless His name. In other words, this worship, this expression of praise 
is not exclusive to the nation of Israel. If we bring it into our own context in our own day, it is not something that is to be true of just the church. It is all the nations and the peoples of the earth joining in unison to recognize there is only one being who is to be celebrated. There is only one being who is to be worshipped. There is only one individual who is to be the object of our song and of our blessing. And that is Yahweh himself. Uh, Many have pointed out that within this song, possibly in keeping with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is the utilization of threes. How many times does it say to sing to the Lord? Three. How many times does it talk about ascribing something to him? Down in verses 7 and 8. Three. In other words, it is to sing to the Father, it is to sing to the Son, it is to sing to the Holy Spirit. All three of which make up the one true God, Yahweh himself. You also see that it continues, not only are we to sing to him, but as it says in verse 2, We are to bless his name. We are also to proclaim good tidings of his salvation. We are also to tell of his glory. So this threeness is found repeatedly throughout the song. As we look at the song itself, the thing that you and I need to recognize is that when we talk about worshiping God, when we talk about coming together, One of the first things is it should be a joyous, a joyous, joyful celebration. Now often people try to manufacture that and you can use forms of music to stir up a crowd to do just about anything. But if we recognize, as David said in Psalm 103, it is not something to come from without that then changes how I'm acting or responding, manipulating the mob by the music or by the conditions, but it's to be something that comes from within and finds its expression on the part of the people of God. Isn't that right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And how should I do that? All that is within me, bless his holy name. And so if there is a deadness in the sense within me, and I'm not giving him the worship that he deserves. It is to be a joyful expression that is radiating through me because of how great he is and because of the awesome things that he has done. And nothing is far greater than the fact that he has provided deliverance He has provided salvation. He has provided liberty for his people. Isn't that joyful? You have been set free. In Christ, you have been liberated. And what is it you're looking forward to? You are looking forward to a kingdom in which righteousness dwells, where there will be no longer the present sorrow and suffering and expressions of sin that make up our circumstances today. The Lord is coming. It is a fact. It is a reality. You and I may not know the moment or the time, but we have the certain promise of Christ. And in the way this psalm expresses it, just as we find in the New Testament, this coming righteous king, he is standing right at the door, ready to judge. There is nothing 
that prevents him from fulfilling and accomplishing those final aspects of his program to complete what he has promised to the nation of Israel and to establish his kingdom. Sing to Yahweh. What are you to sing to him? It says a new song. Now, part of that would have to do with the fact that you and I should be looking for ways in which we can take our praise and the thanksgiving that we have and find ways to express it. New songs. doesn't say there's anything wrong with the old hymns of the faith. It should be something that you and I are always creatively trying to embrace and enjoy. But even more than that, This idea of a new song means that there is a vibrance associated with it. I am not just mouthing the words when I'm told, turn in your hymnal to, or when I'm in a place where they're posted up on the wall uh, behind the uh, music worship leaders. It is the recognition that it is coming from within. In other words, if I sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that is not John Newton's hymn. That's my hymn. That's an expression of what I am rejoicing in. It is a realization that I recognize God in His grace taught my heart to fear. And God in His grace caused my fears to be relieved. And how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. There is something coming from within the depth of my being that is reflective of the joy that I experience. Sing to Yahweh. Join in the universal praise that is to be given to Him. With that, proclaim good tidings. In other words, announce good news of God's salvation. God's deliverance. And I need to understand that deliverance of God is the same for every family, every tribe, every race, every nation, every people on the earth. There isn't a different method of God saving individuals who are Caucasian versus individuals who are Asian. There isn't a difference of how God saves the poor versus how He saves the rich. There isn't a difference in how God works to deliver the immoral anywhere different from how He delivers the moral from their bondage and sin. Salvation is of the Lord. It is His work. And we have the privilege of declaring to this world it is not by works of righteousness that we perform, but solely according to His mercies. The recognition there is no one that is good. There is no one who is righteous. There is no one who seeks after God. But God in His infinite grace and mercy is the one that when we were dead made us alive together in Christ. It is His work of deliverance. He is the one that has set us free and brought us to Himself. Tell of His glory. God does what no one else could do. There is no creature, no matter how arrogantly pompous a spirit being or a human being may think they are, no creature can do what only the Creator can do. Tell of the uniqueness of His splendor, of His glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among the people.
Now, why is it that he is to be given this praise? For great is Yahweh. He is superior to, greater than anything you and I can ever conceive of. Great is the Lord. And therefore, the praise that we offer ought to be equal to his person. It shouldn't just be a rote expression of memorized data. It should be a reality of something from the depth of our being where we recognize this infinite being is deserving of universal, infinite praise. And I have the privilege of joining in that chorus that makes up the spirit invisible world as well as the physical world. For he says, he's to be feared above all gods. Now, we might think this idea of fearing God is inconsistent with what it means to be a Christian because we have so much of the buddy-buddy idea proclaimed in modern Christian thought. The reality is the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The statement of Christ, don't fear ISIS. Don't fear the terrorist. Don't fear the one who can can destroy your body. Instead, do what? Fear him who can cast both your body and soul into hell. It is a recognition that God's people are God-fearing individual. And the reverence, the respect that I have for God overshadows any of the fears that I can have of what man can do to me. The recognition is he is greatly to be feared. Now why is that? Why is he to be feared above all the gods? Because all the gods of the peoples are what? Well, my version says idols. It is a very unique Hebrew word and and translating as idol is a little bit... uh, Um, stronger than it ought to be. It's a word Isaiah loves to use. He says all the gods of the peoples are nothing. They're empty. They're a mere delusion. Doesn't matter how sincere people may be in their religions, whether it's the animism of uh, some tribe in Africa or South America or Central America, doesn't matter whether it's one of the great world religions, all the gods of the peoples are nothingness. That's why Paul would say, you know, people are worshiping idols when he wrote to the Corinthians, and an idol is nothing. Uh, Maybe a way in which the evil one continues to keep people in their superstitious fear as the god of this world. But in contrast, notice what he says about the Lord. He's the creator. He's not the God we manufacture. He is the God who has made and manufactured us. He is the God who called the universe into existence just by the expression of his will. But God, the Lord, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and honor in his sanctuary. The uniqueness of our God and all that he deserves. So what does he say we should do? We should express genuine worship to the being who universally deserves it. And so he says ascribe. This means to give to him. Acknowledge 
credit him with what? With glory and strength and the glory that is in keeping with his name, the essence of his person. Bring that offering and come into his courts. A thank offering and a tribute that I should give. When we come to worship, we come to give something to God, not to receive something to him. And it begins with the expressions of praise, thanksgiving, and love and adoration for who he is and for what he's done for us. Worship Yahweh in holy attire or in the beauty, the splendor of holiness, in that uniqueness that is in keeping with God's person. Tremble before him, all the earth. I think of Job's response. He said, I heard of you and now I see you. He was down on the ground in dust and ashes. I have a vision that was recorded by Daniel. And Daniel had no strength left in him when he saw the splendor of the Lord and fell prostrate before God. And you might say, well, that was Old Testament. I have the beloved Apostle John who had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And when he sees the splendor of the Lord recorded in the book of Revelation, he's overwhelmed and falls down with no strength left. We have a God that will cause our knees to buckle under us as we see the majestic splendor that is true of him. He is to be worshipped in keeping with the essence of his person. Finally, what you and I need to realize is there's more to think about than family gatherings on a holiday, more to think about than what we might be doing this coming week. What we need to remember is today might be the day. He's coming. Who's in charge of what's going on? The Lord reigns. And this Lord who reigns is coming to judge the world in righteousness. In righteousness. And all creation will delight in the revelation of the coming king and the establishment of his kingdom on the earth. He'll remove the curse. He'll establish the splendor that was true of this world before the curse was placed upon it. He will remove all aspects of sin and wickedness as he says to his sheep, enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundation of the earth. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord for he's coming. And he's coming to judge the earth. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the people's in his faithfulness or in the reliability of what he has said. And you know what God has said? If you're outside of Christ, there's only one thing you can be certain of. Eternal condemnation. There's not going to be any distinction or difference that's made. And I'll tell you what, when God comes to establish the kingdom, 
if you're outside of Christ, it's no joyous celebration. But the joyous celebration for the people of God is because it's Independence Day. It's true liberation. It's when God separates His people unto Himself and establishes them in His kingdom where they will enjoy the Lord in the fullness of His blessing forevermore. What do we learn from this song? Well, the first thing for us to know is that there's only one true God. And a time is coming when all the inhabitants of this universe, when all the inhabitants of the invisible world will join together and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one true God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and all the other religious individuals and objects of worship that man has devised are nothingness. And they are robbing God of the glory that he deserves. We need to recognize that the God who is the creator of all and sustains this universe is also the one that is ruling over all. And he's accomplishing all of his good pleasure. And we can take peace and comfort in him. And as we await the coming of that kingdom, there's a reason for you and I to have a great celebration. We are to be singing to Yahweh a new song that flows out of our heart. The first is because of the greatness of his person. To whom will you liken me, says the Lord? With whom will you make me my equal? There is no one or nothing like the Lord our God. He is to be worshipped. He is to be celebrated. He is to be praised for his awesome works. The recognition that he spoke this universe into existence. The reality that he's moving providentially in the events of every day to move this world to the appointed time for the enthronement of Jesus Christ. The realization in his awesome works that even today he is working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And even if today he mingles joy with sorrow to know he has designed it for our good, we can sing to him a new song. The realization that he is coming to establish his kingdom and how joyful we can be to know that liberation from the tyranny of this world is soon to be realized with the coming of Jesus Christ. And then the joy that we can have instead of still being part of that number that are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are ones who were chosen by Him from before the foundation of the world. We have been made to drink of the cup of His salvation. We have had God declare there is right now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there is ever a reason for joyous celebration, it's to know that by his work, 
He has made me His child. And nothing nor no one will ever separate me from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's pray.